0: Welcome, my name is Loriana Hernandez-Aldama, two-time cancer survivor and patient advocate, and you are listening to Stage Free, a place where we help cancer patients find the tools and resources they need to master survival. Cancer survivorship begins the day you are diagnosed. Over time, you may beat it, or you may learn to live with it. Whatever the outcome, you probably wanna talk about it, and that's where we can help. Each week, I will share my insights and personal experience along with notable experts and cancer survivors. Together, we can help patients navigate the complicated road all survivors must travel. The goal? We want everyone to have an equal chance to not only survive, but most importantly, to thrive. Welcome back to Stage Free, our podcast that we are so excited to have to help you as a patient, a survivor, Feel empowered, more educated on your journey. My next guest you are going to love. I say he's two for one when we explain, when I give you some of his background, integrative and medical oncologist, Dr. Santosh Rao. Let me give you some background before I invite him into the conversation. Medical director of integrative oncology for UH Connor Whole Health, board certified medical oncologist specializing in GU malignancies, board certified integrative medical provider, recognized as top doc for integrative medicine in phoenix for 4 years and president of the society of integrative oncology now if that is not a resume i don't know what what is that is amazing dr rao i'm so excited to have you with us today i know you're busy so thank you for taking time to talk to us because integrative oncology is such i say an emerging field for many patients because not everyone has access to it or the information so i'm glad to have you here so we can help people feel more educated and empowered about it. Um, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Loreana. Um, you know, this is a very important thing to talk about and I'm really an emerging field and I'm I'm just really happy to have a conversation around this and how, you know, we can expand uh, all the good work that's being done and, and you know, really focus on holistic care for cancer patients.
0: Yes, now in my previous career, as I say, when I was the news anchor and network medical reporter, A lot of the work that I did was focusing on natural treatments and holistic health. And um, I know when I was diagnosed with leukemia, a lot of friends said, well, why don't, why are you doing chemo? You should just do, you know, everything natural. I'm like, listen, they told me I'm going to die. So I'm going to have to go with the chemo, but I can incorporate the integrative oncology. And I've been fortunate to be at medical centers that had that um, and had access to it. So later on, we'll talk about the access, but first, Let's explain to our guests what is integrative oncology and how does it differ from medical oncology.
1: Yeah, so it's it's basically it's a uh, an approach to care that first and foremost is still based on evidence. Um, you know, this is not at all an alternative to conventional treatment. The idea is how can you uh, enhance conventional treatment using complementary therapies, which often come from places around the world. Uh, lifestyle recommendations, including stress management, diet and exercise, and then empowering patients. I think that's the key part for me, is that we want people to be an active part in their care. And that partly is, what What are your choices in terms of how you want to go through it? People come in with um, their own belief systems, their own biases, their own choices, and we want them to be engaged and and work with them. You know, what's happened especially over the last 10 or 20 years, is that we know that a lot of cancer patients are reading stuff on the internet. And um, it's often not something that's discussed with the primary medical oncology team. And that's for a variety of reasons. Either we don't have time. Some people may think that it's not worth bringing up, or my oncologist or surgeon may not be interested. And often the medical specialists, you know, this is a kind of a a growing field. There's a lot of uh, research in this area. They may not know exactly what to tell somebody either. And so those are real reasons that at any point in your journey, if you're going to do something that's outside the conventional space, it's good to have some coordination of care and really go through it with people who know both sides a bit to say, okay, this is where you need to coordinate. So that's, yeah, I think and I, it has its place.
0: I, and I think a lot of people are confused to what it is. And that's why I want to ask what's included in integrative oncology, because when I tell people, oh, I have an appointment with my integrative oncologist, some people think, oh, I'm talking about just all supplements and some things that aren't approved by the FDA and that's all supplements. Or some people think like when I was in the hospital, there was like a trial that involved mistletoe. So they're thinking, oh, is this some woo-woo trial with mistletoe or are you doing supplements? But it, it go, it's much more than all that. What's included?
1: Yeah, and it's not going to look the same everywhere either. You know, so I think it's important that uh, we take kind of a, a basic kind of concept of what the concept is first and foremost. I think first we have to say that integrative oncology is part of a spectrum of care. And part of that, I mentioned the conventional care, but you have a lot of different uh, specialists Who work in um, areas that are similar to ours in terms of supporting patients. So, you know, that could be palliative and supportive oncology, it could be pain management. There are a lot of people with physical therapy, rehab, there's dietitians. Those people are all involved in supporting patients in various ways. And so are we. And so, you know, the specifics of how an integrative oncology program looks may look different based on where you live, uh, what the patient population is. And, um, and their cultural beliefs, for example, and also what's available. Uh, in different parts of the world, for example, they may not have acupuncturists. Or, you know, in some places, you may have a very strong um, cancer center, which has a lot of dietitians and rehab and this and that. And maybe integrative oncology really includes having an integrative oncologist. So I, I don't think it's a kind of a one type Type of thing where it's uh, you know you have to have eight different things to to be called integrative oncology, and so I I, I do think it's a concept, you know, and also there are not um, a ton of people trained to right. really quote, quote, quote. Yeah, and it's also you know so as you mentioned, I'm president of the Society for Integrative Oncology, and you know we've worked on this definition for integrative oncology, but also kind of what does it mean. To say that you're an integrative oncologist because it's not a board certified specialty. I am board certified, for example, in integrative medicine. But one of the things we're really working on as this field gets more and more popular, um, you don't have to have one type of training to call yourself an integrative oncologist. So there are people coming into our field and we welcome everybody, you know, but they're coming from different perspectives. And that's okay. But if if you're a patient, if you're a cancer center or director, how do you know that, like, this is, you know, somebody that uh, represents the field, and um, and that's a work in in progress. I mean, we need to work with each different group to make sure that there's some alignment in how we view, um, you know, what we recommend and what we don't recommend, and a lot of that comes from research and guidelines.
0: So and we now do need standardization. Um, We do. My my concern where we talk um, about integrative oncology and we need it and more centers have it, I've had access to it and we know access is a big issue. If 80% of cancer patients are getting their oncology care at community cancer centers, how can we help other patients just even understand what is part of an integrative oncology team or what can they ask for? Right. I I think
1: that you know first of all i would say part of that is educating the providers <clears throat> you know so you know this is a growing field and if you're in a community center for example um although it's changing i think that in the past there may be people who may not have heard of integrative oncology i would say that's changing in most places now even my colleagues who work at community centers are asking how can i start an integrative oncology program and that's why i say it's not going to look the same everywhere because um for example I happen to be an oncologist who trained in integrative medicine. There are very few people like me, you know, so that's not fair to say, you know, everybody has to have, you know, somebody like me or a certain team. Um, But how how do you check those boxes, so to speak, where a patient has access to these various options, which I would say really is around lifestyle management, you know, Mm -hmm. and that could come from different sources, stress management, and then, um, and then answering questions about what's safe and what's not safe. And so, I think that people are looking at this. You know, I mean, I think that first of all, from a stress management standpoint, it's great to have a yoga therapist and mind-body classes. But some of these things are being developed online, and there's apps available as well. And so, you can kind of look at some of those resources as potential ways to to bridge that gap and give patients what they need. Um, there's online information about uh, lifestyle. So I'm going to put a plug in for an online program called the Anti-Cancer Lifestyle Program. Um, and you can look it up online, it's free. And that has great information, for example, yes. um, on what you can do and whatnot. And so there's ways to kind of, you know, get somebody and get the patient the right information, which is a lot of our job anyways. Because I, think that, I say, yeah, oh, go ahead. No, no, I I think that that last piece, though, is like what's safe and what's not safe. That's a real challenging one because, first of all, not everybody agrees. You know, we have guidelines for a lot of other areas, but in terms of natural products and, you know, coordinating conventional therapy with complementary therapy, that's uh, there's a lot of work going on and there's a lot of research that needs to be done. And so that's kind of a little bit more fine-tuned um, you know kind of information that we have to give patients and um, a little bit more challenging. I mean, I think telehealth options and other options in community uh, settings are important. Yeah. But that's why we need to educate people so that you know your general oncologist, for example um, and, and whoever else might be involved in the care has a basic sense of uh, what's safe and what's not safe and, and they can be the voice in those settings.
0: Well, and there's so many elements that, and hopefully we can list them out in a moment of what is included in integrative oncology. I, I try to explain to people, and I'm not an integrative oncologist, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it is our way of meeting the medicine halfway, because when you talk genetic risks to our own personal risks, who we are and what is around us and what cancers can be prevented. There's diet and exercise, and there's also been studies about hormone replacement therapy and how if. You know, the potential risk and tied to breast cancer. But if you look at all that, the diet, the exercise, the sleep, which we know is the foundation of which diet and exercise sits, the acupuncture, and all these factors that can help make your breast cancer treatment or your um, leukemia, whatever treatment you're on, more effective. I know when I would sit in the hospital for a year fighting leukemia. And I would research how much more effective the chemotherapy is if I'm walking, if I'm exercising. So what steps can I do? The thing that disappointed me is that like acupuncture, I love, it's great, but I can't afford $130 a visit and most patients can't. So how do we get it to people? Um, I know this is, I, I've just given you like 15 questions. What <laughs> is well, I'm going to walk it back it? a little bit. <laughs> oh so, yeah, dial it back and you, I'll just be quiet for a minute so you can answer all those questions.
1: <laughs> well, I think first things first is the, the science behind this. Um, and it's still building, but you know why I got interested in this area? You know, I have to say, I mean, I trained in medical school in the 1990s. And while we did know, obviously, there were impacts of diet and lifestyle, it's not the kind of thing that was really focused on during medical education. And even back then, I was very interested in all of this. And the reason is, you know, it's one thing to get cancer, of course, and heart disease and diabetes. But obviously, if you can try to prevent anything, you should try, right? And and I thought even back then, I, I was very interested in how do we prevent disease, rather than, you know, obviously, we really focus a lot, I would say, in this country on treatment of disease. And cancer is no different. You know, the treatment, I'm a medical oncologist, as you said, and the treatment is just, uh, is getting better and better. Uh, We're getting more precise with how we treat cancer, and the outcomes are improving. And that's great. All of that is great. Um, I obviously embrace all of that. But we still need to, like, learn more about what causes cancer. And there are some things we know, and uh, I would call it low-hanging fruit. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we know smoking is the number one preventable cause, but obesity rates are going up and diet and lifestyle you mentioned. Those are things that we are still learning more about the lifestyle component, but we know quite a bit. I would say that beyond that, there are differences around the world in cancer rates. And I would argue that there's some things that we just don't completely understand yet beyond that. We're learning more and more about things, and so for me, it's about the science of okay, what are all the variables, um, you know, that contribute to somebody's, um, you know, cancer risk and then cancer outcomes. Uh, you know, we know that if we give the same person treatment, you know, it's very variable how they do, and why is that? And I would say that we're learning more and more about that, but in the past, it was kind of you know you kind of just hope for the best. So part of that is measuring things, whether it's precision, where we do uh, testing on the cancer, and we can identify which treatment is best for that specific cancer. That's a huge part of cancer treatment right now. But the other part of it, We're gonna is- We're going to be what,
0: talking about that in our next podcast. You and I which, will be talking about precision. I think it's
1: really, really important. And then the other part is what is unique about that individual? And we know that there's just a lot of things. I think it sometimes gets people overwhelmed because there are so many variables, but you touched on some of the basic ones, you know, sleep. We know that has a, a major impact on your genes, on your hormones, on your immune system. So that's one thing. Your your mindset, you know, are you are you managing your stress? And you know, that's very different for different people. It's not always easy to measure, but that's something that's potentially modifiable. And like you mentioned. Are you exercising? Are you eating uh, the right way? And I think the more we engage on these things, you know the whole point is for people to live well with cancer and to have better you know rates of cure. And um, that's why I think this field is becoming more and more popular because as the science and understanding grows, everybody wants that same thing. And so to me it's it's not about this or that. We need to do everything we possibly can because there's a lot of toxicity you mentioned from treatment, we don't want people to get recurrences of their cancer. Uh, we want people to have limitations in their toxicity from treatment. I mean, everybody agrees with all these things. So how do you do that while also controlling costs? You know, that's a huge factor as well in terms of national health care. And integrative oncology touches on a lot of those areas. Now, you mentioned uh, the access issue. And so I, I think we're we're at a certain kind of i wouldn't even call it middle stage but we're we're still this is an evolution of of integrative oncology where in the past it was just kind of a a concept that's available in a few places and a lot of this field has been driven by patients patient interests you know and um that in my opinion drove a lot of cancer centers to start you know really um including integrative oncology and many people believe in integrative oncology but some people offered it because that's really what patients want, in addition to whether it helps them or not. And I think now we're getting to the point where the science has gotten to the point where, as I mentioned, many of these therapies are in national guidelines, the National uh, you know Comprehensive Cancer uh, Guidelines, as well as ASCO, um, which is the American Society of Clinical Oncology. They have partnered with the Society for Integrative Oncology on multiple guidelines as well. And when you start putting things in guidelines, it starts to get to the point where you're considering that a part of standard of care. And you look at the landscape and how many symptoms patients have and how many people with cancer have pain and other um, side effects, either from the cancer or the treatment. And if you have therapies like yoga or meditation or mindfulness that are really quite risk-free I think that that's a win-win. First of all, but then the the and and as the science grows, then it becomes a whole different problem, which is great. So we have something that people want. We have something that works. We have something that's actually recommended, but it's not available. You know, either it's because right. of location or it's because of the the system that we have. Where in many places, <clears throat> many of these things are not covered by insurance. And so that gets into a, a whole another conversation about our healthcare. And I think that um, as somebody who's, who's really involved in this field, I think it's incumbent upon us to not only do the research on how these things work, but to really show how does it change the course of disease, how does it change the healthcare economics, where you really can make that argument that look, if you hire an acupuncturist you're going to save people a lot of uh, pain yes. and suffering, but you're also going to save us money. And it's how we measure that. You know, are you getting people out of the hospital earlier? Are you, you know, reducing toxicity yeah. because people are on less opioids, for example? I had um, to
0: use the GoFundMe to be able to afford light massage and acupuncture when I was in the hospital. But I kept saying, if I take pain meds, I it becomes this cycle that I can't get out of bed, but I know I need to get out of bed and as I say, Armour Up for Life, which is the name of the nonprofit behind Stage Free. Um, but if I took a pain medication, I it was a cycle. I was so tired. So I said, I have to make a conscious decision not to take it. Again, this was a personal decision. So I could get somebody through my GoFundMe and use money to get acupuncture like massage so I can manage my pain and, and, and be more effective as a patient and more alert. Um, and it should be more common. In fact, when you were mentioning about the yoga, I don't. I, I hope I can connect you. I know hopefully you guys may all know each other, but we've been working and partnering with UT uh, San Antonio and some researchers from Rice. We're actually studying cortisol and stress. And if we can lower the cortisol levels of cancer survivors, they're looking at the potential of lowering their risk of recurrence because we know stress causes inflammation, inflammation a fertilizer for cancer. So I love that we're all starting to talk about this.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that, you know, the research side of it, it's always about the effect size and what you can measure and not measure. I think it's also important to just look past not just the cancer. We know that uh, for breast cancer patients, for example, leading cause of death is still heart disease. And I think it's the same for prostate cancer. And there's a lot of links between these different diseases in terms of inflammation you mentioned so even if um, even if somebody's got a low risk of recurrence that doesn't mean that you just um, you just ignore all these other things there, for whatever reason and there's a variety of different reasons but unfortunately people who've had cancer whether it's from their treatment or really just this the process of getting diagnosed I think that there's there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of disruption in life and and other things that happen. We have to kind of continue to take care of that person and to think back to not just about their cancer, but what is their quality of life and what's their long-term you know health impact. And I think we're not going to know all the answers. And I think that many things you can't measure. You know, you measured, you know, the cortisol in a in a study, but for an individual, if we're not doing all those tests and things like that, it's a little bit more difficult in a in a clinical practice. But again, they're, they're harmless things. And generally people know whether they're feeling good or not. And so part of it is, you know, when you get done with your cancer treatment, or even during cancer treatment, how do I live as well as I possibly can? Right. I do think someday, you know, I don't know when, but you know, all these kind of tests are getting more and more uh, affordable and who knows what the future is going to look like in terms of how much information we get from each person, um, you know, and- and all that.
0: Are you doing, I, I believe when we spoke before, you're doing something different at your, where, where you're working to include integrative oncology in the actual treatment plan, which is so important because I say we should not have to choose between living longer and living better. This, you know, the QOL, the quality of life drives me nuts that it's wrapped up in three little letters and it's a lot of problems that I have. So can you tell me what you're doing differently for patients and I hope I loved how you explained it to me the first time when we met how this could be scaled or, or used at other treatment centers.
1: Yeah, so um I have goals, you know, I mean it's not like I've accomplished all the goals that I have but you know the the idea and just kind of taking a step back at what I so I you mentioned I'm at University Hospitals and I'm part of a larger integrative medicine program called um, Connor Whole Health. And in our program you know, in the integrative oncology program, I've kind of first looked at what is integrative oncology? What can we do? You know, and I think I've looked at integrative oncology consultations where we answer questions, lifestyle, stress management, and then symptom management. So, you know, those are not always the same thing. I think pretty much anybody can benefit from stress management. And then lifestyle obviously is important for a lot of people. Um, I think of that more for cancer survivors or people who are at high risk for cancer. Um, and then symptom management. The program that you're referring to is, is really around symptom management. Um, and you know, there are various ways we can implement that, You know either preventing symptoms or treating various symptoms. But we're finding a lot of impact. And I I hope to do more in the hospital as well. But the program that we started, which I think is pretty unique, is our Integrative Oncology Symptom Management Clinic, which started in June and has just been extremely successful. Um, I'm very proud of it. And the novelty of this was basically based on what we were talking about, that, okay, you have treatments like acupuncture and massage that we know help with anxiety, with pain, with fatigue, for example. A whole bunch of symptoms, right? And yet, the current model is either if it's insurance covered. In some states, it is. In our state, it's not, and in many states, it's not. Um, then it's an out-of-pocket expense, and we know that uh, you know people with cancer already have a lot of expense. Many okay. people uh, have you know decreases in their ability to work, and we also have a very diverse population. Some people cannot afford these things, and that bothered me. You know, you mentioned your own situation, Um, and there's a lot of people like that. We probably don't even really know how many people would have taken advantage, Um, but that bothers me where many times the people who need it the most um, don't have access or can't afford it, and now we're getting past the point where this is just an elective thing. You know, you're talking about real situations where, let's say somebody can't sleep. And um, they have to go on Ambien or some medication, and then they have pain like your situation, and they have to take an opioid. But you know what? If somebody really, really worked with them, maybe they would have been able to sleep without the medication, or they might have uh, a pain reduction where they have, you know, either don't take the opioid or or limit its use. And these things we know from the opioid, you know, epidemic um, that. That those medications have the most side effects in this country, you know, the fentanyl and all these other, you know, problems with opioids. Um, We see it all the time. And so it's not just an elective thing that um, feels good. I think it's got real health impacts. And also certain um, treatments may help people stay on their chemotherapy or You know, if you're reducing toxicity, that's a huge part of of what we evaluate when we're treating cancer patients. Is can they tolerate this? So now you're starting to say, okay, this really impacts people. And yet we're asking them to pay out of out of pocket. Like it's you know drives me crazy. so, So eventually I I hope that insurance companies will just cover all this. Okay. But we're not there yet. And so that that's a story that's building where if the evidence continues to get overwhelming. You know, would you rather, um, you know, hospitalize a patient, for example, because they got depressed, or would you rather hire a yoga therapist to, you know, prevent some of that? You know, it's not like you can't draw a straight line, but from a cost standpoint, these are costs of the system, and can you justify that cost because there's a such and such benefit? And so I think that that's the story that's being created. So what I did is I said, look, I'm gonna try to work around this. And, um, basically I I see all the patients that get, um, acupuncture or massage in our symptom management clinic. And I wrap the acupuncture and massage within the visit. And so basically I bill them for a visit and it's, it's Mm -hmm. variable, you know, how much people really pay, but it's, it's either zero if they've met their deductible that year, or it's something like 25 or $35, which, you know, Yeah, you know, again, for me, um, I didn't know how impactful that would be. And I think we also underestimate, you know, how much people are struggling, or even if they're not struggling. I think, you know, what I found, it's been about five or six months now. And I think it's not very often as a doctor that I'm involved in something that really just makes people feel better. But I think for patients, there's very few things like this where they feel like they get, it's just a win-win. They just have to show up. Yeah, and they feel better. And they're not, you know, having to pay a lot. And I I, honestly, that simple equation, I have so many of these patients who've been coming who are like, this is amazing. And I'm like, really? And I I think it just shows that um, it's hard for people, and that if they didn't have to pay so much, and, and there are other people who argue, well, you know, on the provider side, you know, people who are trying to you know, establish a practice or who are trying to really make enough to get by. They say, well, you know, the way our system is designed, you know, if you're a valuable entity, you get paid. You know, so if people want this, they will pay for it. But then we mentioned a lot of people can't. So it's not, it, there's a gap there between people who can afford it, who want it, and people who can't afford it and want it. And how do we bridge that gap? And and usually what happens is you depend on donors and philanthropists, or you depend on the cancer center. And, you know, everybody's got lots of uh, money issues and cancer center, all these places, they're not, you know, they have very tough decisions in terms of staffing and all these other things. And so, you know, generally that becomes a very vulnerable equation where many times you can't guarantee that everybody's going to be able to get it. And so I- do what yeah.
0: you're doing at other hospitals this is this is why we're trying to get grants at arm up for life to be able to fill those gaps so because not everyone's doing what you're doing and it would be great to be able to scale this and multiply what you're doing because you know the payers you know for people listening who you know they don't want to cover something but compliance and for those listening who don't know what compliance that's if you're going to keep your doctor appointment and keep going is a big issue and they want you to keep going to your doctor appointment. So you are successful in your treatment. You live longer and live better. But if we are in pain and then we need pain meds and it becomes a, you know, a problem where you're addicted, then, you know, it's not going to happen. We're going to quit treatment Six the outcomes come down. I, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I don't know why we can't have this funded more, but I know you said a lot of money goes to research and driving drug development. We just need to keep moving the needle and making progress in the yeah, integrative oncology space.
1: I think there's been a lot of progress. I think there's been a lot of progress. It's just that um, we're not quite. I don't know when that will happen. I think that you know, part of this is just continuing to to work on the policy and the um, the, the the government, really, you know, and, and how um, and how we we support healthcare and well care you know, and, and many people talk about this, but I think that to me, it's very simple. I mean, if you really look at the math of it, we spent so much on healthcare, you know, mm-hmm. we spend so much and obviously we still have a lot of limitations with our outcomes. Um, I think that if people really get behind the kind of things that, you know, we're talking about with uh, supporting people, it really helps, you know, because all it takes is, uh, and again, just this is not about, you know the other reasons to do all this, which is that it's good for people. But if you're really talking about money, I mean, the money is there and people need to kind of understand that you're really saving things down the line, I'm sure. And we can show that and it needs to be shown. But um, again, this is prevention when it comes to, to the financial component. Um, but yeah, I think that this is a, a relatively new idea from my standpoint. Um, I think these things will evolve as we get more coverage. And I'm sure I'll change things up, um, but for me, the whole point is to be patient-centered and mm-hmm. to, um, to really think about what somebody's going through and to try to figure out a system, and this, again, will look different in different places probably, but to figure it out, how do I get my patients to have the best possible care they can get?
0: That's amazing, and that's what makes you amazing. Um, if Before we go, because... We're going to record another podcast soon on precision medicine. But before we go, can you just run down a quick list of somebody who is thinking, okay, I don't have integrative oncology at my care community cancer center, uh, but I want to piecemeal my, put my own pit crew together, my own team together. What are some of the things they should think about? Like, can you give me a list like acupuncture, massage, yoga? Can you run through a list like that?
1: Yeah, you've listed a lot of them. So the first thing I would see is what's available. Um, And so normally uh, somebody can help with diet. And so, you know, finding out if you can partner with someone. I also think that this is such an evolving space. There are many people who have multiple skills. And so, you know, it it isn't always um, completely encompassed in somebody's title. You know, there may be a physical therapist who knows a lot about massage. There may be a dietitian who knows something about functional medicine. I mean, this happens all the time. So, first is getting introduced to the right people and figuring out what your resources are locally. And then I think that uh, we need to promote some of these, you know, websites and apps. Um, there's another app that I love. It's called Ankio. I'm going to give a plug for that too. It's developed by my colleague in uh, England. Uh, it's awesome. You know, it's O-N-C-I-O oh, and it nice. walks you through um what you can do for yourself and lifestyle and stuff. So I think you know, some of these things that are just education, you can look at apps, you can look at the anti-cancer lifestyle program, etc., and give yourself some help. There are many books out there. Uh, one of my favorite is called Anti-Cancer Living by Dr. Lorenzo Cohen. So you can get some ideas from various good sources. I mean, the key is to get good resources, and then based on your symptoms, does everybody need acupuncture? No. I think that if you have certain, if you're doing fine, I would argue you don't need massage and acupuncture per se, unless you want to. But for certain symptoms, there are guidelines based on what works best. And I think that's a lot of what we're working on still is what type of treatment is best for which patient and what symptoms. But, you know, acupuncture is pretty prevalent in most places. Obviously, there's some places where it's not. But in the US, it's pretty, you know, pretty available and same with yoga. And then, you know, the apps I'm talking about for mind-body programs, there are some programs you can do by tele uh, virtually. Um, so that's a way to start, I think. Um, does that replace, you know, in-person? It doesn't, but it really, really depends on where you live. I mean, if you're really out there, then it's gonna be a challenge. I also think that um, you can work with your provider to get in touch with others. You know like either your provider may know, but if they don't, I get emails from patients, I get emails from other colleagues. And um, I'm always happy to talk to people and and there're a lot of people like me. And so I I've, I've had conversations with people in other parts of Ohio where I live, uh, Kentucky, you know, places you know outside of this state who are asking, okay, how do I start this but also what are the right. resources that we have available? And sometimes those people, you know, your provider may be able to get some information as well, if you want to go in a certain, you know, direction, and and that can help everyone.
0: Yes. Well, I always say yoga is medicine. Movement is medicine. For me, if if somebody said, hey, we need to have a meeting at nine o'clock, I'm going to tell you, no, I have yoga. And they'll look at me like, oh, like that's going to the spa. I'm like, no, I have neuropathy so bad that if I don't do yoga, I cannot walk. I wanted to
1: ask you, like, what was your, how did you use all this? You mentioned um, for pain, now you're mentioning neuropathy. I mean, what was the place integrative oncology had in your care?
0: Oh, well, integrative oncology. Well, first I, I can't get to all the acupuncture options because it's hard to get on the schedule at my treatment center in Atlanta. um, And I can't afford it and it's not covered by my insurance, but the way I treat myself (laughs) is I do a lot of yoga. Because it helps my neuropathy, my feet are always on fire. I struggle with depression and PTSD, and that helps me. The, yoga just calms me, centers me, gives me moment to like reflect and meditate. And really, it is like my everything. So I, I don't really ha- care what's happening at nine o'clock. I'm getting to my yoga class, and I may not be able to get there every day, but I'm, I'm not going to cancel it just because someone wants to have a meeting or breakfast or whatever. It's on my schedule, like like an appointment for sure, because it, it really does make a difference. And I tell people, you know, neuropathy is very common after chemotherapy. This can help you. I also have a lot of back pain and bone pain because I'm on aromatase inhibitors. The medicine you take, you know, to suppress your hormones after breast cancer and the back pain, the bone pain is horrendous. I need yoga to function. I also walk a few miles a day to function, but I also know the more fit you go into anything, I want to stay fit because hopefully nothing else happens. I've had enough happen. So all those play a role for me, but also integrative oncology has played a role that my integrative oncologist has also involved supplements, like telling me to take um, you know, a B12 or D3, because I do have bone thinning from the aromatase inhibitor, which is the pill you have to take five or 10 years after your breast cancer. I take turmeric, I take calcium, I take um. There's a lot of, I can't even think of all the supplements I take, Uh, a gut thing, something for cortisol. I take a lot of things for stress because Mm -hmm. I know my inflammation levels are high and they tell me that after a bone marrow transplant. So for me, it's kind of like I kind of piecemeal everything together, but I kind of do it on my own because my integrative oncologist I meet with virtually makes these suggestions but can only suggest different supplements and i can't get to acupuncture as i mentioned but i'm hoping people can you know if they can do yoga online if they can if they can afford acupuncture some places where i used to live in austin texas there was actually an acupuncture center where they were students and you could go in for 10 minutes and they had someone overseeing them and you can get it done for $25 or $30 not 130 i mean i value their work and their worth but I can't afford it. And I know most patients can't. So that's the role integrative oncology played for me, but I know I, you know, I call it prehab prehabilitation and you're, you're prehabbing even through cancer and after cancer, because you're preparing your body for the long-term effects or any secondary cancer that may come or anything else. And so I have my three P protocol. You have to prepare your body for illness. So you present well to your medical team and you're better positioned to prevail. And for me, the, I, constantly try to stay fit by incorporating all of those i just wish it was more of a package plan like what you're offering and the way you you incorporate it for your patients so hopefully there is a goal there and others look to the work you're doing and we can start seeing that at other hospitals
1: wow yeah i mean you're just kind of enlightening us on on uh, how everybody's journey is different and um it really takes uh you know a very comprehensive effort to really figure out what is somebody going through? You know, I mean, that's what we all hope for. And um, how do you get the right type of people in front of that person to help with their own unique symptoms and what they find useful? Like, you know, you happen to have fallen in love with yoga and some people might like something else. I think acupuncture would be super helpful for you potentially, right? Um, So, you know, how can you try these different things? I mean, nothing's 100% effective for everyone but what you want to do is find something that works. And, 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 you know, that process of kind of, okay, evaluation and, and uh, putting a plan together, that's really coordinated between all the providers, multidisciplinary, you know, all that.
0: So ask your provider, if you're listening, ask your provider, where can you get some of these options? And also, you know, focus on your diet, focus on your sleep. They used to say sleep, diet, exercise, and sleep was a wheel of success. We now know it Sleep is the foundation of which diet and exercise sits, and lack of sleep can do a lot of damage to your body. so and that's like so-
1: uh, that's like the constant you know almost everybody has sleep issues that I see yeah, you know, I, and it's it's fascinating. I mean you know i I am a, a an oncologist, and uh, I enjoy being an oncologist, and I've been doing integrative oncology now for you know maybe eleven years, um something like that, and um it's been a very interesting journey. Because you know, getting interested and getting uh, getting in conversations with patients about kind of what they're going through, um, mm-hmm. and in this particular kind of um, from this perspective, uh, I found it you know really uh, very very uh, rewarding. You know, it's very it's not very often that I don't feel like we have a really good conversation. You know, like there's so much to to discuss about what somebody's really going through, and then now we have all these options to help them. So that makes me feel like really empowered right now that we're actually making a big difference in people's lives and we have tools.
0: Oh, absolutely. I I say, if we can stay in treatment because you're helping us as the whole patient, we can stay on treatment, take more of the drugs or medication for a longer period of time because we're complementing it. Um, It's a win-win. There's so many studies that say when you are treating the whole patient, that we, we stay in the treatment and we do better and the success rate is better. So why not help the whole patient? And also um,
1: it keeps people involved. You know, I think that, um, you know, I, I have not had cancer but I think the whole the whole process is one that um, can be obviously very anxiety inducing and, and cause a lot of fear but there's automatically the sense of, you know people kind of jumping in and taking over so to speak. And there's this plan And how do you keep somebody in it where they're part of this process, but then feeling confident later that, like, I have the tools to to really promote my own health. And I think that does so much in terms of reducing depression and reducing the fear and also getting the best possible outcome where somebody, because we know now that it is really important what people do. So, you know, no doctor is going to be there at home when you're sleeping and say, you know, what's the quality of your sleep, and those are things you have to manage for yourself. How do you wake up in the morning? What kind of mood are you in? Are you optimistic? You know, are you eating the right things from a, you know, meal to meal? Um, Are you, are you talking to people about how you're feeling? I mean, those are all things that you have to kind of do for yourself, but we need to encourage people to do those things.
0: Yeah, I have so much, um, I take so much melatonin to go to sleep, it's ridiculous, but the medicine they put you on after breast cancer causes you to have insomnia. But I know if you don't sleep, you get inflammation, you're high risk of other stuff. So I just pop melatonin like candy, by the way.
1: (laughs) I mean, melatonin doesn't work for everyone. And I will say to anybody who's, who's worried about breast cancer.
0: I'm sorry. Let me correct Not everybody
1: gets insomnia, but um, you know, it's unique. So, so what the key is, you know, to figure out what are the symptoms somebody's having You know, insomnia, we could talk a long time about that. It it may be so many different reasons for that. But part of it is kind of really getting into the the symptoms and the issues somebody's having and trying to figure out, okay, is it because you're not exercising enough? Are you anxious? Are you, you know, on some medication that's, that's causing this? And then working on strategies to help them. For some people, melatonin works. For some, it doesn't. But that's not the point. The point is to create a personalized plan that helps someone.
0: Absolutely. I mean, for me, I just stay up at night with my depression after having two cancers. And I worry. I mean, last night, I because I have a lot of scar tissue from my deep flap surgery, and there's a bulge and I can't have more surgery. So I'm telling my husband, well, I wonder, I hope I don't have like stomach cancer. Mm-hmm. So these things keep me up. And I know I'm not the only patient, but... <laughs> like sleeping is a big issue. And I, so I do work out, I do my yoga. And then, you know, some of the other struggles, especially if anyone listening has had two cancers, you know, they tell you in leukemia, if you have bone pain, let us know. But then after breast cancer, they put you on a pill that can cause bone pain. So yeah. it kind of makes you a little cuckoo. <laughs> anyway, I know I just sidebarred and sidetracked and I know we're out of time, but is there any one one thing you want to say quickly before we go?
1: Well, the main thing is, first of all, thank you. For having me and I think that the key is to continue this dialogue and to think beyond just you know this is your cancer this is your treatment and um and think about you know living well you know with with cancer and, and beyond and and trying to reduce suffering I think that's the key um, and you know just putting things in that context um I think it's been very rewarding for me but is, is something that I think is shared by the whole medical community. You know, I don't want integrative oncology to be seen as something that is uh, on the side anymore or something that only a few people believe in. I think a lot of patients want this kind of uh, view on healthcare. And mm-hmm. I would say most of my colleagues are, are very interested in their, in their patients doing well and um, and really having a, a very good outcome, both in terms of their cancer, but also in terms of how they feel. So I think there's great opportunity now, and uh, we just need to keep pushing this forward. We need funding for research. Yeah. I think we touched on that. I think that the faster and the more funding we get for research, the faster we can get insurance coverage, and the more people can access the type of care. It goes in that direction.
0: Yes, amen to that. Well, thank you, Dr. Rao, and thank you to our listeners of Stage Three. As I've said over and over, our goal at Stage Free is to help you master survival through patient education and give you the tools you need for success to navigate this journey. Survivorship is complicated. I know that firsthand, and you do not need to do this alone. And so please remember, we are in this together. Thank you, Dr. Rao, and everyone have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Stage Free. Join us every week for a new podcast featuring thought leaders and experts, will help cancer survivors not only survive, but ultimately thrive throughout treatment and recovery as they learn how to master survival. Learn more about us at armorforlife.org.